0: This is Place Based Media's podcast, Based Roots. My name is Devin, and wherever you folk find yourself in the world, thanks for being here and giving us a listen. Let's get this started off with a quote, shall we? Mankind has always been cutting one another's throats. Do you not believe that hawks have always preyed upon pigeons? Then, if hawks have always had the same nature, What reason can you give why mankind should change theirs? Alright, well this is an age-old topic of conversation. That quote was by Voltaire from a novel he wrote in 1759, about 250 or so years ago. Um, So if you thought that maybe humanity has somehow evolved beyond this question, then I've got to say that you've simply been misled. So maybe today we can dispel some of the misconstrued notions that exist out there in the world with this subject. And that conversation, of course, is going to be the VQ, which is the violence question. And I'm here with my buddy Ray. Hey, everybody. Who is someone that I respect greatly, not just uh, for your opinions on this subject of violence, but I would say also for your capacity to inflict it in life.
1: I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I thought you might. So thanks for being here to chat with me.
1: Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: And also to denounce violence in all its forms. I totally disavow. Yeah, I thought you might, I thought you might be here to disavow violence completely in the world. And that fixes it. Yeah, it's going to do the world a great favor. You're you're a true service to humanity. Yeah, I just that. saved lives by disavowing yeah, violence. absolutely did. Are you That's, kidding? I'm super impressed by your capacity with all that. Yeah. It's like you're going to go down in history. So Totally. Yeah. All right. So if you guys want to get a look at both of our ugly mugs, you can check out that video that we just put out on Cascadian Pantry, which is about killing and eating food. And that video is pretty much what prompted this conversation. And, you know, it's something that we've discussed a lot since I've gotten to know year over the past nearly a decade, we would say. About. Um, So why don't we just go ahead and talk about that process which was pretty awesome it's something that we've done a bunch of times in the past mm-hmm. killing pigs killing sheep um we've got a lot of different we've things we've killed really. a lot of stuff together yeah we've
1: definitely done that and we've yeah.
0: eaten almost all it's of actually it. kind of been a theme through our whole relationship together yeah. it's like
1: people <laughs> calling us and asking us to kill animals for them yeah, <laughs> they need a, they need help and yeah you know for one reason or another either they don't want to do it themselves or they don't have the skill or whatever but yeah the phone rings for one of us and and uh, and we go get her done.
0: Yeah, a lot of it's <laughs> helped, for sure. Like yeah, farmers definitely have a hard time when. You... I've
1: never been paid for butcher. No, no,
0: no. You get some meat uh, usually, yeah. or yeah. in that case, she also ran a dairy and she gave us some cheese that she had none. Um, some of the was,
1: best cheese ever, yeah, Winnie cheese. That, that was, was awesome.
0: incredible. Yeah, super good stuff. Oh God. Um. Uh, so yeah, the labor aspect with farming is something pretty intense, especially when you're raising a decent amount of animals. This case was just a couple of pigs that we did, but Mm -hmm. even that, like, for a farmer to hire out a butcher to come out and do that, like, that's a big cost out of what it takes, you know, when you're only raising a couple of animals. You're You're not making any money. No, you're doing it really as a service to a community of people that want to eat local food. They want to eat humanely raised animals (laughs) and all that, and... (laughs) Yeah, so it really is a labor of love why they do that. You know, they've got some extra space and they've got extra uh, food products from the farm of raising like milk and things like that. So it's a pretty natural thing to actually want to raise pigs because all that waste product uh, that is inevitable with farming really goes to good use in terms of growing good, healthy meat that we can all enjoy.
1: And and even if people – some people don't like to eat pigs. I, most of those people I don't like. But the ones that I do like, they always make an exception for bacon. Yeah, because everybody so loves bacon.
0: Bacon's like the gateway drug for vegetarians. They say that's the true. You'll hear vegetarians say, "Well, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat bacon." It's like, true. well, you're not a vegetarian, actually. Then, sorry, it's not how it works. But if you could you kind know, of whittle Cascadian Pantry down and you know place-based media down to its core tenets, I guess we would say that really the basis of it all, of everything we're trying to do is about taking responsibility for our lives, like for everything in our lives. And so I think food in a lot of ways is that gateway to understanding our greater connections to the world, or to put it differently, we could say to understand our current disconnection uh, to the food and to the systems, you know, and that's all kind of symbolic of a culture that really doesn't understand the nature of how the world functions would you agree
1: with that no no i would totally agree with that um you know food is violence like in and of itself it goes back to early early man if you rolled over a log and you pulled out a grub and you were hungry and you threw it in your mouth and chewed it up um i'm pretty sure that was violent right yeah i'm pretty sure i don't know unless there's a scale of violence which is another interesting philosophy and i not opposed to discussing that, but food is violent in and of itself in, in nature. It is just inherent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, people can have all types of ethical kind of questions about like the sentience of certain (laughs) creatures and maybe what's more morally accepted. You know, we clearly value human life more than we value animal life and things like that. And then Most people will try to then scale
1: that down into vegetable life and whatever it might be. You get into sentience and it's like, okay, you're, you're a vegan. I appreciate that. Um, do you have a problem with napalm leveling the rainforest? And they're like, <laughs> well, yes, of course I do. And it's like, well, why? They're not sentient beings. It's not violence. What's wrong? And so it, it illustrates the scale of what is sentient, what is not. And, and like I said, food is violence.
0: Yeah, and actually all forms of agriculture are... Incredibly destructive to the landscape in some form or another, um, at least when you look at the industrial scale. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about you kind know, of the great um, kind of tragedy of civilization is agriculture in itself. A lot of people have referenced that before, and they'll reference things like um, the the conquest of Gilgamesh and things in terms of like chopping all the rainforest or the cedars of Lebanon down. And what were they doing that? Well, they were either using those trees for building up their great civilizations or they were clearing lands for agricultural purposes to expand their civilization. Um, So no matter what it really is, if you're clearing a vast swath of land, even if you're just growing potatoes or oranges or whatever it might be, it's still, you're, you're decimating a large swath of life and human, commu- animal communities and human communities, too, in a lot of places still, in the rainforest and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of just relativism, I guess, in a lot of ways of how people want to put it with what is morally just, really. Oh, um, yeah. I don't really look
1: at it any differently, you well, know. Well, you know, you bring up Gilgamesh, and that was that was a fascinating story for me when I was in high school. Um, I really liked that story, the epic of Gilgamesh. It's great. Um, B its similar or A its similarities to uh, to some stories that we're f- more familiar with, and then B it was just a it was just a very interesting story, especially considering that it was supposedly set uh, over in the Middle East. And I've been to the Fertile Crescent. Yeah, it's not very fertile. It's not very fertile at all. I <laughs> put fertilizer on the ground where and when I could, but but it's not very fertile. You know what I mean? That it's not. You got palm groves and you've got some some stuff, but y- you don't have these massive cedar forests that did exist at one time.
0: Yeah, so you brought it up. Why that's a question I actually had. Why are you so comfortable with violence? Because (laughs) your background actually, you spent some time over there. And so you got to see a lot of things about how the world actually functions and what violence really is and how to take responsibility for it, how to internalize it. And and it's scalability, scalability, you know,
1: and the scalability of violence. Um, Yeah. So what's that? Well, so I don't know if violence is so much something that you can become comfortable with as much as it is something that you can become acclimated to. Um, I've been around a lot of violence, obviously, not just the military. I grew up, and this is all public shit for the most part. Um, I grew up. I grew up in a violent home. You know, I grew up with violence. Um, and prior to even that experience, my mom grew a garden, and slugs were eating her, eating all her uh, all of her lilacs and all of her lettuce. So she would give me the salt. And uh, tell me to go out and salt the slugs. So I'd go out and I'd dump some salt on a slug and you watch them rither up and you're like, man, that must suck. You didn't relocate them? No. No, no, no. Kill them all. (laughs) They're eating my lettuce. I eat that lettuce too. Totally. You have to do what you got to do. We're having competitions here, right? We're competing for who gets to They're there because of the lettuce. Yeah, they're there because of the lettuce. But the lettuce is there because I need it. And so (laughs) it becomes this um, thing where, you know, yeah, kill the slugs, put salt on them, whatever. And I did that all the time. And I thought that was kind of neat. Then my brother... He showed me how you can feed spiders. So I was like, well, this is the coolest trick I've ever seen. Because, you know, here in Cascadia, we've got tons of spiders, of course. And they're different kinds. You've got the web spiders that set up the, uh, they set up the stuff that you walk into. And then you have the funnel spiders that set up in the bushes. And with both of them, if you pick an ant or if you pick a beetle or if you're, if you're really feeling rambunctious and you grab a centipede um and you throw it on these webs you get to play you get to play gladiatorial animal matches
0: yeah i totally played that game too i remember actually the moment when i discovered it i found a fly that caught it and i was like oh wow yeah let's do this i was there with my buddy and we chucked it in there and that spider just ran out right yeah. away and it did its whole thing wrapped it up in the <laughs> cocoon and that was pretty cool full disclosure
1: this. I still play that game like I still do that if yes. I if I see a nice spider web and the guy looks hungry and I look around my feet and I see a little bug I'm like all right here you go bro you heartless man I know I I have no res- I have no respect for innocent life Jeez. Um, interfered <laughs> and, uh, with nature's process and ant lions you know we have the same thing you walk around you see these strange concentric circles underneath trees and stuff. And you're like, well, that is the strangest thing. Most people don't know that there's a critter in there that's hungry, and if you feed it, you're going to get to watch a little show, and it's fascinating. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I'm doing my part for nature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, in simple terms,
0: you have not disavowed violence at all within your life, actually. And you've pretty much kind of headed towards it, like, Full on face yeah. first, right? You want to talk about some of that, your experiences because you did join the military when you were eighteen or seventeen yeah, or whatever, yeah, fresh sure out of did.
1: school. Oh yeah, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? Um, been a while. I haven't been in the public eye for a long time, so so yeah. Um, no, you know, I was fourteen years old and I grew up patriotic, rural, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. And if, if you're part of that, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I grew up, like, patriotic, and, you know, do the best for you and yours. Um, and then I was 14 years old. I wake up one day to go to my freshman year, which had just started. And all of a sudden, there's, like, towers on fire on TV. When I was quasi-interested in politics from a young age, but this was different. This had never been seen before. Um, and, of course, you take that, and, well, that's an attack on my country, you know? <laughs> And, uh, so from there I decided, well, I don't want to miss out on this because a, I'm not going to go to college. I've never had an interest in college. I've never, I've never wanted to go. And I've seen the people that even back then that kind of came out of college and I didn't really, it just, it wasn't for me. I knew that. Um, so yeah, 18, I graduated after four years of war. And I remember hoping, I remember hoping that the war wouldn't be over by the time I graduated because I wanted to go fight in it. And here we are in 2018 and, yeah, it's definitely not over. Um, definitely not. Not looking like it's going to shrink anytime soon. Uh, so I joined the military, and then, you know, I took my test, and I did all this stuff, and I said, okay, what do you want to do? I went through a few branches. I wasn't interested in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, or correction, the uh, Navy, Air Force. And I played with the Marines, but at the end, it came down with the recruiter, and the Marine Corps recruiter just wasn't as cool. He just wasn't a cool guy. You know what I mean? It was, And that's what kind of made it for me. It was like, well, this guy's a lot cooler. I said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do the infantry. He said, why? I said, well, because my grandpa did it, and I, I want to, you know, shit, why not? What else? What else is there? I don't want to cook. I suck at cooking. Um, you don't want me doing communications. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's not my gift. Um, but here you are. Yeah, it's not what I'm comfortable with. You <laughs> know? I'm comfortable with other shit. So, um, so, yeah, it took me off to uh, Fort Bliss with my unit at the— uh, Charlie Company 212 CAV was the unit that I deployed with, and we hit Baghdad in 2006 to 2007. Now, the records say that I came back in 2008. I'm pretty sure it was 2007. Uh, 13 months and 26 days, but who's counting, right? But, you know, so neither here nor there. Yeah, I went and I did it, and it was a very tumultuous time to be in the Middle East, um, to say the least. I'm not sure... How I can express that to people, who if you haven't if you haven't been there you haven't done it then you can't understand and this is something that I struggled with for a long time. I was trying to make people understand um, that really have no frame of reference, and so I, I can't do that. I'm not going to try now. It's been ten years. There's no way. I don't. I don't even have the fervor or the or the or the piss and vinegar that I used to have. I'm I'm getting old, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So so between that and then uh, coming back and of course I went into veterans activism of various sorts and that took me around to agriculture inevitably it took me to agriculture is how that whole circle kind of came by i was a founding member of the uh, veterans transition corps now defunct um and then actually quite recently i was the manager of the central oregon veterans ranch um because agriculture is a it's a natural place for me to be it's outside it's outdoors it is for most people especially if you're a cascadian especially if you're outside and you're a pacific northwest kind of person um but agriculture is violent and this is something that to a degree I had to kind of reconcile at times I was a little zealous about my application of, well, that animal's sick. We need to just put it down and put it in the oven. Other times, not so much.
0: Yeah, it's definitely agriculture. Like we kind of said earlier, it's symbolic of just the nature of reality. Like you can't survive without food and the modern world is definitely kind of disconnected people from that process. Um, First, we could probably trace it back to grocery stores and we can go forward there. It's like everything's just kind of on tap and easy and people don't have to think about where their food comes from at all. And that was kind of our purpose of highlighting that within that film that we did there about just kind of showing the industrial food systems contrasted with the reality that, you know, people are still doing it out on the farm and that's okay. And we actually prefer that way to being disconnected and allowing the food To be processed in the forms that it's being processed in, in those industrial systems that are really, really terrifying in a lot of ways. It's almost like uh, transhumanist. It's like alien almost. Like you see those machines grabbing those pigs and launching them down. (laughs) and I don't know what they're doing, if they're electrocuting them or what, but it's super weird. The pig doesn't like it. Yeah, I don't think the pig likes... Well, I don't think any animal wants to die, period, but being in that system, I don't even want to, like, hang out in that system, let alone be killed by it, too. So even just to, like, be around that is... uh, kind of a weird thing.
1: Driving on a road downwind from those systems is agonizing enough, oh, yeah, let totally alone you this... peek your head in the doors and yeah. you start looking around and yeah, hearing the noises, are... you know?
0: Yeah, I grew up uh, back in Lancaster County for a minute and we had pig farms back there and they had, I like, guess, the tailings ponds of them. And that smell would just engulf the whole town at times. Are tailing spawns? Uh, ta- tailing spawns, I think they're called. Tailing spawns. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Uh, just where they collect all the shit from, food and the food and the blood possibly
1: too, and they're just washing it all into this big old pool—a tailings pool. I think. Right. Are you talking yeah. about those things that burst now and again, and then it's like tremendous cause for human health all over the, all yeah, over the region? I don't
0: remember anyone. Ex- <laughs> Floating, but I imagine they probably at times find them where ways into waterways and things like that. And it's just a total toxic waste sledge that just
1: reeks. It's not I remember, pleasant to I be I do around. remember, this is a while ago, I remember it had been a long time ago, but I do remember reading about a massive um, flood of pig shit that broke loose from me. it. must have been one of these things that you're talking yeah. about. And it got into a river and it polluted the aquifer and people got sick and they're just like, oh, our bad. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, You gotta feed China. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta feed...
0: Yeah, score one for industrialized food systems there Um, We feed the world Yeah, exactly (laughs) So you're no stranger and I'm no stranger either by just wanting to seek these things out for like not wanting to disavow violence in our own life And even the concept of disavowing violence We actually say that a lot because we poke fun because we hear people say that People say that all the time
1: yeah, and we I always, disavow violence.
0: Yeah, we like to relate that to, like, weather or something. Like, you can't disavow a no. rainstorm. You can't disavow a hurricane. Or in, in the case of eating food, we would actually say that,
1: like, you're just disavowing life itself. Yeah. yeah. Right? And you have, like, like for example, Hawaii. There's volcanoes blowing up all over the place. I disavow volcanic eruptions. Yeah, exactly. I disavow I them. that doesn't change that. anything. It still exists. It's still happening. But I'm choosing to not have any responsibility or not even responsibility. I'm choosing to not acknowledge a, an irrefutable reality. Right. I'm choosing to completely pretend that something doesn't exist. I'm choosing to live in a fiction.
0: Yeah. You're living within abstractions. Yeah. And it's something I've actually thought a lot about a lot because, you know, we grew up in Cascadia here and part of what's inspired This project is just recognizing the land and kind of the symbolic representations of it. And, you know, if you've grown up in Cascadia, then there's one thing that you've been confronted with your entire life. And that's the reality of the violence of the earth itself, Mm -hmm. you know, set aside any human endeavors for a moment, you know, because there is a reality or a mythology in a way that it's inspired us based off of where we live. Uh, maybe more so than a lot of other places, because, you know, obviously living in Cascadia growing up here, there's this underlying theme that pervades our consciousness about the reality of massively destructive forces. Oh, I mean, the earthquake. The big oh, one. The big one. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know all about that. Oh, I know all I was born about that.
1: Then. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And I lived on the coast for a year too. I was in sixth grade uh-huh. and I remember like the first uh, month of school or so we had a tsunami drill and we were there in lincoln city actually and uh, it's right there on this little kind of creek coming out of the forest and it's super low level you can walk out to the ocean right there and oh, it was yeah. just like low sea level so we're having tsunami drills and i thought that was the funniest thing like oh yeah we used to always have fire drills or whatever everywhere else but no here it's like tsunami drills and it was like every month and they would like line us into a line there and we would kind of like maybe hide under the desk for the earthquake portion of it or whatever it might be. I don't know, something stupid. And then we would walk up this little hill. Yeah. Like, here's the safe place to be. And it's like a really small hill. And yeah. you're, you're just fine No, I gr- there.
1: When I, was, when, I, when I was growing up in uh, the Willamette Valley, up in the upper Willamette, um, we did earthquake drills all the time. Like, earthquake drills were twice a month. You know what I mean? They were all the time. And then around middle school, after I got over to Central Oregon, it wasn't so much uh, earthquake drills. It was more fire drills. And then it's about fire, and from what I understand, I got a cousin still in high school, and I've got some other family that's still in the educational system. They don't do that anymore. Now it's all about school shooting drills, because right. now you're worried about being murdered by somebody. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. which is a whole other confrontation of violence. So you're kind of trading your 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 curriculum for the preparation of something that is, um, how do you say, astronomically catastrophic, versus small isolated incidents that will encourage people to. Uh, how do you say i guess they would encourage people to instead of focusing about natural disasters they focus on small isolated man-made things that they think they can change by voting that's the interesting thing about it you can't you can't vote away earthquakes and you can't vote away mass shootings these are just things that are a part of our reality now
0: no you can try to control the systems more and that's really what it's all about with that that obvious agenda there uh which we don't even really need to go into the politics about that. Everybody no. gets kind of you know that, what I'm saying. That contentious issue there. You know what sure. I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, I think like the something that naturally inspires us and many people here is to not take it for granted that everything is just going to be fine, whether it's school shootings or whether it's an uh, earthquake or a hurricane or whatever it might be. You know, so we've had a sense for a while now that you simply just have to take matters into your own hands in life. And so food is the foundation that we used. um, And probably that was the first thing in my consciousness, too, of understanding that I need to take responsibility for these matters in my life. Because one, it makes me feel like a more whole person. Like I feel like I'm contributing to my own life. I'm not leaving matters into other people's hands to care for me. And that, of course, then led me to uh, questioning forms of violence and how I even defend myself and how I defend my community and the people that I care about. And that's something you've helped me a lot with over the years, you know, because before it was probably something I just didn't even really think about it because it's a process of just taking it for granted, you know, and that's what I think a lot of people do in general is they just take things for granted, that that system's just always going to be there to care for you and growing up in Cascadia, I think that's part of what's pervaded my consciousness of just understanding that, like, no, that earthquake has told me the story that, no, like, nobody's going to be there to take care of you when that thing goes, and we know it's going to go. It's going. It's overdue. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know out there that's listening to this, like, this is a, what is it, a
1: 200-year or 400-year? I think it's every 270 years this thing, this giant fault line has slipped, and it's a massive one. And what are we... 60 years overdue now? At least. something something long overdue. Way overdue. (laughs) But it's funny because
0: I've believed my entire life of knowing this. I'm like, that thing's going. Mm -hmm. That thing is going in my lifetime Mm -hmm. and I'm going to see this unfold. And what am I going to do to prepare for it? And it just so happens that preparing for something like that is also. What inspires me of the way that I want to live in general anyways, and that is just a full recognition of the realities of this world, owning the responsibility of how to care for myself, learning about things in the natural world, where to find clean water, how to process food, how to store food, yeah. how to hunt for food, things like that. So, I mean, lucky me
1: for actually knowing how to do these things. Oh, very <laughs> and- lucky you, because there's, there's tons of people that have no idea. Yeah, I feel pretty confident, oh, really. Yeah. and I can kill something and eat it. We,
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. Good for me. <laughs> and I don't really need to worry about the people out there that uh, I don't want running around up in the forest trying to do the same thing, because they're not going to
1: anyway. They're not going they're, to, no. They're pretty much screwed, really. No. And I mean, speaking of the earthquake, because there's an old quote. I believe it's more often attributed to uh, Kennedy, President Kennedy, than not. Um, I can't confirm it, though. Uh, when written in Chinese... Crisis is represented by two characters, one being danger, the other being opportunity. Yep. Um, and so if you look at the earthquake from, from a, a, not a position of defeat, like, I'm okay with an earthquake. Cool. Yeah. That's all right. Cool. That's fine. I would love to see that. I would love to experience yeah. that um, in my home. And I, I, I say that as somebody that lives here, and I don't mind to see it completely destroyed in the name of um, evolution, in the name of the, evo- the, the uh, changing of order yeah, absolutely. Into chaos, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree with you completely there. And I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a glimmer of hope that I could actually see that. Because one, it pretty much destroys the shitty, massive Im- infrastructure that we see that's polluting these lands in all the different ways. But we also see the inauth- inauthentic culture that we're a part of here. And what we see with that opportunity is a chance to uh, really... Reinoculate ourselves, to re-inhabit the land, because we see that, like, well, one, you get cut off from all of these systems that are just kind of force-feeding you information, force-feeding you food from all over the world. You don't really get a big say in terms of how life comes f- to you. When crisis and disaster happens like that, it takes it back to the very root of how we want to live, in this world and it's very authentic experience and it's very place based. There's no escaping what is all around you. Like you have to deal with what you have and that's a really inspiring thing for me. Um, and so it's my take, you know, that, that consciousness of place is it's really a symbolic of, it's symbolic of listening to the land itself. And then what we try to do is we try to emulate our consciousness, out of how we perceive the land to function in and of itself. So it's all kind of uh, cause and effect, you know, earthquake happens and you're going to, then let's build your societies and you're going to build your stories based around these things or fires, for instance, like we have a lot of forest fires too. They're incredibly destructive and we see people building their houses out in the forest, these
1: stick frame houses. Well, we see developments opening up to sell people houses out in the forest. It's like, (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't, be sympathetic <laughs> to your plight no. when all your shit burns. No. And you
0: when built you, your house in a forest fire zone. Or a flood zone. Exactly. Or,
1: you know, that, and, and that's a fact.
0: Yeah. That's an absolute and fact. And the civilizations or the cultures or the tribes that know how to survive in life are the ones that took that into account. And they were able to persist for thousands and thousands of years because they understood the flow of nature and they understood the potentiality of how it could affect your society or your tribe or whatnot. And that's what I want to get back to because you're working in the rhythms and the flows of reality of the natural world, how it functions. And otherwise people are just going to be caught off guard. Mm -hmm. And
1: it's like, yeah, no sympathy. Like, well, you know, and and thinking about the earthquake, myself, a Cascadian, (laughs) um, I live in the fastest growing city in the United States of America. That is and it's true. been that way for, oh, I think, six, seven years now. Um, and this place is just being raped, period, dot in story. That's the only way you can describe it. It's not quite as bad as a bucket wheel excavator. But it's not any better. You know what I mean? It looks pretty gross to me. It looks pretty gross. Suburbs? Yeah. No thanks. And, and we used to have like log homes built with nice tree lines and, and neat neighborhoods that weren't tinsel box. How do mm-hmm. we squeeze as much money out of the value of this land as possible? Because right. it's all about money. It's mm-hmm. all about economy. It's all about growing the GDP because that's how you determine the success of a people. Um, the other reason I like I like the earthquake because <clears throat> I don't – I'm not – I'm excited to see these people humbled. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see them humbled. Yeah. I'm excited to see them humiliated. I'm excited for this because, they're, I, it's just it's changed so much, and um, and with the earth with the earthquake being overdue as it is, I don't know if they're telling them that. And in fact, I know that they're not. Um, I know this for a fact that they're not telling. They advertise to Colorado, California, Seattle about hey buy land in in Cascadia, buy land in the Pacific Northwest. They tell the Seattleites to move east because mm-hmm. hey Spokane's going to be a bustling bourgeois community here in five years. So you can be a part going to fall
0: into the fucking bay is what's yeah. going to happen. It's
1: going to slip it's right on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're because the cities are death Please. traps. You know what I mean? And there's people <laughs> that have this. Um, the cities are death traps and everybody that doesn't live in a city. And if you didn't grow up in a city, you know that inherently it's in your soul that cities are just giant artificial matrices where you're literally mm-hmm. plugged in to to the to the system that is all all it does is destroy and that's it and you know that when you live in a city you look around and everything is destroyed yeah nobody goes from portland oregon to anywhere usa and says oh my god or no correction (laughs) let me let me rephrase that nobody goes from the country nobody goes from a rural area and goes into a city like portland or seattle and says oh my gosh it's so nice to be back in the city I'm so happy to be back here in the city. This is so awesome. It never works that way. I think some people do say that they're just not Cascadians. They're not the type of people I hang out with. No. <laughs> yeah, no, and they're not. Okay, so some people do, and and you know what? Those are going to be the people that should uh, well inevitably when when these cities burn in fire, they're going to run out into the rural communities and they're going to be begging for help, begging. But they won't have no, they will have nothing to offer. They'll have nothing to offer these people. They can't even change a tire. Yeah. So. So, you know, you're going to be fertilizing the uh, gardens of the future volcanic landscape. That doesn't have to go in the interview. (laughs) Well,
0: it just might. It just might. Basically, uh, that contrast is definitely an important part because, you know, obviously we're a very earth-based mentality. And with that, you know, we're trying to do everything that we can to stay grounded and rooted in reality, as I like to put it, you know, rather than abstractions which is basically entire construct of civilization and of the modern world is built off of abstractions. And so it's also a very tribal stance or tribal mentality that we're taking as well compared to the so-called civilized modern world that tends to structure its beliefs based off those abstracted values and those hypotheticals about kind of how they would maybe like the world to function rather than how it actually does function. Uh, and so as someone you, Ray, as someone that's seen kind of true war-torn areas, what would you say to kind of those virtue signaling people out there against violence, you know, those people that take this morally righteous stance about how how things should function. They've got this progressive ideal in their eyes that like that somehow the elimination of violence is the progressive thing for us to be headed towards, that that's somehow a good thing for humanity. Uh, What do you say to them? Because you've actually seen what happens amidst a natural, not a natural disaster, but amidst a disaster of a society or of a civilization and
1: what it degrades into. Um, I would tell those people that I will see them as rainfall because their bodies will go up into the clouds as ashes and come back to the earth as rain. Yeah, and if I had, and I don't mean to be crude like that, but like the fact of the matter is, violence exists, and the more you disavow it, the more you try to pretend it doesn't exist, the more that it encroaches around you because you've allowed it to. You've turned a blind eye long enough to where you 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 surround yourself in a very very volatile situation, and you didn't want to pretend it existed, but you, now you have to. Yeah, and it's probably too late. Probably, I don't mean to be blackpilly. To anybody listening that, you know, wears a Patagonia jacket and uh, lives in the Pearl. <laughs> but uh, but that's, it's just the truth. I just it, try to think of it from a rational standpoint. Um, they're at a disadvantage. The tremendous disadvantage. Yeah. And I don't feel bad for them. Yeah. I mean... Yeah,
0: I don't either. Uh, there's this case of people that are kind of afraid of that tribal mentality that we talked of, you know, of making the world more violent somehow. Um, And also that we as a modernized society are somehow less violent than what we were in the past. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not sure how to really quantify that. You know, according to the mainstream narrative, uh, the state or government agencies, they've got it all under control. And we should just like focus on being productive members of society or something like that. You know, And so we've been fed that narrative that we have somehow progressed past that that tribal sense within us, and that the best way for us to go is of this collective homogeny, that everything is under control, and, and that it just doesn't exist. And that's how we relate to the food system, because it's like, no, it does exist. Look at that system. They're just telling you that it's somehow better, and it's not better. It
1: just is out of sight and out of mind. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up in the sense of tribe, because like I said, I live in the fastest growing city in the United States of America. And my it, with the sudden expansion of its growth, my tribe has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, not just proportionally with the people living here, but the pressure of being flooded with people who aren't from here, who don't have a history here. Um, you know, it, actually, it has made tribe very small, yeah. which also makes tribe... I don't... How do you say it? I don't want to say hostile. Um, uh, Maybe frustrated. It makes tribes frustrated. Let's put it that way. Because suddenly, proportionally, they just got diminished. And in terms of being a productive member of society, (laughs) when you're flooded with a whole bunch of people and everything grows up, as a tribe that existed in an area for a long time prior to a tremendous expansion um your ability to contribute to this new society diminishes like I'm a farmer I go out and I I to help people slaughter pigs well you know you got to make you got to get rid of the farms that are around Oregon so that you can make room for data centers for Facebook and for Google and all this shit you know so like your ability to contribute to a society as a as a as a tribe in a, in the modern world within modernity <clears throat> is very limited and in fact I think that it's more it's more uh it's more real to think that you can help other tribes that also feel the same pressures that you do and feel the same um, immediacy of this isn't right that you do. I think it's. I think that's more important.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people that are coming here, another big aspect of that in terms of the diminishing tribe is just relationships. There becomes so much pressure on all these different people to fulfill the needs of these people that really don't have that reverence um, or that kind of built relationship through the years or you know they're going to be there for you. Like, they just want your product and get it to me or else, you know? And that's it. Yeah, and so...
1: And they won't go out there and shoot a pig and skin it and eat
0: it. No, won't they do definitely that. won't do that. Or no. they just won't even, they won't even bother to show up to help a farmer do it in the no. first place. They don't even know the farmer. You know, Why would they want they to help They just them? think you should sell it to them for
1: cheaper. They didn't grow up
0: around farms. Yeah. Why do they care? And so that's, that's lacking for sure. Um, and I think the mentality of that you know it comes back down to like just taking responsibility as we mentioned it's su- super dangerous for a society um because everything becomes very passive like you said everything is taken care of by this kind of mechanistic thing and there's no sense of relationship with the people of like how anything happened you can't appreciate really anything anymore
1: well you don't have
0: to when you have a whole foods yeah exactly And then by the nature of being disconnected and not having to understand the labor and everything that it entails to farm food, to grow even just your own garden, like, there is a lot of labor that. So what happens is a lot of weakness comes about, uh, not just physically, but spiritually also, and then, of course, emotionally, too. And look at society, like, look at the men of this day. They are not only physically weak— but they're incredibly emotionally weak, too. Like, we're no doubt going to get people crying about this show. They're going to whine about whatever. I mean, just even the pig video, too. We did have one person say, like, oh, I couldn't even watch it.
1: Well, okay. So, and, man, that's – I don't want to say it's a can of worms because it's not. It's kind of easy to dissect. But for the people that had a goldfish die and it was their pet when they were four, you know, or you had your family dog die when you were ten or something like that and you just don't like to see animals die – I can understand why you wouldn't want to shoot one, cut it open, and and skin it, and then sure. cut it into pieces and eat. It. I get That's that. That's okay. I not totally everyone understand. Everyone has to do that. No, no. But what I what I what I humbly request that you don't do is insist that um, that not happen, or that that not be a part of the story. Or or even more dangerous to insist that people don't eat meat, because that is dangerous. That hurts people. That hurts Cascadians. Cascadians need meat. We yep. always have.
0: Yeah, I understand why people would not want you to eat meat from an industrial system. Like I don't want to eat meat from
1: an industrial. I don't. System. <laughs> but also,
0: I eat out every now and then too. You bet. And I know that that is a part of the reality. So I try not to be a purist
1: with it, also, no. and understand the situation no. that we're in as well. I am not a paragon of moral fidelity. Right. It's it's not about being a purist. It's not about purity because you know we're all products of this modern world. Um, I was watching rated R movies when I was five years old on HBO, you know, with a single mother, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so like, there's no such thing as purity in this world. Um, owning it though. And understanding what is impure and, and our own contributions to I, the, 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 uh, understanding our own contributions to the artificiality of the world that we're living in and it's inflated living capacity You know, this is kind of the crux of globalism. Uh, Globalism is using the entire planet in one big economic business model. All of a sudden, everything is made in China. Why? It's cheaper. All of a sudden, um, chicken, American chicken is, and I hate to pick on China, but, you know, fuck China. But American chicken is being manufactured in China and it's being Mm -hmm. sent here. That was an issue because um, why is chicken from China being flown? To the United States, I have I, can, I have a chicken in my backyard. It's a rooster. It doesn't do much, but I can eat it, and I can have many more chickens. Why don't Why doesn't it work that way? Well, we develop our communities into small, isolated, tinsel town boxes, kind of like um, if you remember Edward Scissorhands. It's like that. It's like Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> but more diverse. And we're the weird kids up on the hill. We're the weird kids on the hill with uh, with a giant, beautiful garden. And uh, everybody's mystified by, by what that is and how that works. Yeah,
0: for sure. It's a, it's a struggle recognizing just the total disconnection of all those things and how a lot of people kind of prefer their method, the civilized method of life. You see that and they see digging in the dirt with your hands and getting filthy and covered in blood and they just see that and they're like, oh my God, that's the last thing. I would ever want in life. But then those same people have this totally contrary view of the world, of how it actually functions, and they're the ones that are supporting all these allegedly environmental initiatives that take people off the land and they make it harder for farmers to have basic humane practices about... Uh, how they're going to kill their pigs, you know, because it's all economic. If it's not making the most economic value, then it's probably not worth doing according to them. And that's how you get uh, the efficiency of a pig farm, of a pig slaughterhouse, Mm -hmm. where it's just like line them up and kill as many as you can rather than, you know, if you're a farmer, single family living out there in rural life you're maybe going to kill like a couple of pigs a year yeah, or maybe a dozen or more like because you're going to help feed your neighbors too because maybe they're not going to raise pigs like and so they've just scaled it up so far that it's just become this total abstracted version of reality and it's a totally degradating process not just on the land not just for
1: the animals but it's degradating to their souls as well. And you know, to that, you know, if I in a perfect world, I would have I would have that urbanite in a Patagonia jacket that was willing and able to come out and explore the various forms of slaughter, right? I would I would take them along with my trip and I would show them how I do it. Um and then I would take them to a factory farm and then I would expose them to kosher and halal slaughters and let them decide how they think that the animal should be treated while it is turned into meat that he's going to eat or not he can turn into a vegan if he wants and that's fine um but there is a big disconnect
0: yeah so did we talk about uh eradicating violence and these people that think that uh that somehow the world can be eradicated of it because that is kind of like the vegan stance i think almost in a nutshell that like somehow we can just get rid of it yeah is that possible? No.
1: And from vegans, it's, n- it's nice to feel more morally superior because you can clip your own asparagus. I know. I get it. <laughs> Those um, asparagus are crying, man. They're in pain. They are in pain. And, and screaming. They, they are sentient beings because when I cut down an asparagus, I feel it. I can hear its tears. That's how in tune I am with Mother Nature. <laughs> um, but no, the eradication of violence, like, okay, No get out of here and yeah. the people that are telling you that they can eradicate violence are only going to use violence in that pursuit and if they do eradicate violence they're going to use violence to keep it eradicated so yeah. no there's no such thing
0: no all it really actually is is externalizing your violence onto someone else or some other place you're outsourcing mm-hmm. it. yeah you've outsourced it and then therefore it's become less real to you it becomes an abstraction like we talk about but the world isn't any less violent no. because you think you're exempt from its workings or, you know, you've just sanctioned someone else to commit it on your behalf. Actually, one thing I forget where I saw it or read it, but Jane Goodall, we all know the monkey lady, right? Mm-hmm. With the silver mm-hmm. hair, she was like studying the chimpanzees. I'm not don't totally quote me on it, but she was studying the chimpanzees and it was her great hope for humanity that we could somehow emulate these things because, of course, people evolved from chimpanzees. And so here was this peaceful tribe of chimpanzees out in the forest, I forget where she was, and it was her great hope. She wrote all this stuff on it, like, "Oh, look at this, like, there's hope for humanity to be totally peaceful because look at these chimpanzees, they're totally peaceful and they're sharing and all that. And she left and then came back for a year and they were all, like, totally murdering each other and just had, like, resorted to this crazy violent behavior. And I'm not – I don't quite remember exactly what it was. It was either a breakdown of their food systems or was uh, – it wasn't even something that radical. It wasn't even an invading chimpanzee tribe or anything like that. They just ended up resorting to pure barbaric savagery. Yeah. And I'm not sure what set it off, but that pretty much ruined her because she was just like, oh, my god, nope, we're fucked.
1: Yeah, you don't have to have invading chimpanzee tribes to create catastrophic violence. It, it definitely helps. Well, but you don't have to help facilitate it, that's prerequi- for sure. It's not a prerequisite, Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny because people try to cite animal relationships as being the perfect end-all,
0: be-all. Well, I think it shows, too, that a lot of aspects of life and our ability to kind of strive and struggle and thrive within it are just ultimately violent. Like, life comes from death, no matter how you put it. And you could even argue that, It's a necessary function, violence that is, of biology. It's as necessary as breathing. You know, it's woven into our DNA, really, as much as any predator. You know, if a lion loses its capacity to kill its prey, what's going to happen to that lion? So thinking about eradicating violence from that standpoint, like, well, you've taken it for granted, again, that everything is just going to be okay in life. That you're never going to have a need to survive, well, I'm glad
1: you brought that up, because with respect to the, the lion analogy, if a lion naturally loses its, its ability to stalk prey, what's going to happen to that lion? Now, let's put us ourselves in a human situation. If that lion, um, if its ability to stalk prey is taken away, what's going to happen to it? It's not that it can't. It's fully capable. It's just, it just doesn't do it anymore because let's say uh, the meat wagon shows up and drops off a dead zebra every week. It, it's not, or it's illegal for the lion to pursue food. What if it's made illegal? What happens to the lion? Or what happens if the lion wants to go get some food and feed the pride, but the regulations that it has to meet, it can't hunt on a certain body of water. It can't find a zebra on a certain plane. It has to apply for a permit. It has to pay money. Like if you apply these ridiculous human constructs to the natural world, you see the fallacy. And if you don't see it, well, they're like, we just have to play by the rules or no, that's just the way it is. Um, I don't accept that and I never will.
0: Yeah. And the natural world when it's cornered fights back, fights
1: back viciously.
0: Yeah. And it gets violent. I think people, I don't know what it is with people. If there's this trauma or whatever, as it relates to violence and our ability to accept it as a viable solution for problem-solving. I don't know what that is, but part might kind of strongly correspond to the perpetuation of an Abrahamic worldview that has infiltrated people's consciousness for a good while. You know, you've got all that rhetoric about, like, violence is not the answer, give peace a chance, turn the other the other cheek, you know, all those... Sayings perpetuated by a society that is anything but non-violent too, and even in the Bible, there's a there's it's not really promoting non-violence. Right. It's just promoting it for certain people.
1: Right. Yeah. No. That's precisely. <laughs> that's precisely it. And I didn't really question too much stuff about those kind of you know. And you're right though. They're Abrahamic principles, um. And they're instilled in us. You know. Uh. And I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't question them much until I was obviously in in the middle of a um. Of a fucking meat grinder in the Middle East. And all of a sudden, these these rules just don't apply. There's no such thing. Yeah, those are all fully Abrahamic cultures. You were trying to trick me. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing. Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, and so people can't recognize or observe nature as it is within that. And so, you know, their beliefs and their worldviews are wrapped up in that Judeo-Christian kind of salvationist and utopic ideology. Um. And it's not really rooted in anything natural. It's not rooted in anything of this earth as an ideology. It perpetuates itself also in a lot of different ways, like more than just that dog, that religious dogmatism. You know, that story expresses itself in mainstream politics. It expresses itself in um, scientific materialism also. Um, And it's all kind of reflective of a bigger story that's just trying to disconnect us from natural law. And I've talked about that a lot. Uh, So they're really just kind of pulling a fast one on us. And it's an example, really, of posing as being against the very thing that you actually are.
1: Oh, that's never happened before.
0: Yeah. So the story that they're telling within that is not matching up with reality. No. When they say things like, turn the other cheek, Uh that that's somehow going to be beneficial for your survival and for humanity as a whole yeah no that benefits whoever
1: wants to be in charge if somebody tells you to turn the other cheek punch their mother in the face and see what they do yeah you know what i'm saying like and that's really that's kind of just how that's that's really the raw example of like no and there is no moral imperative to for example um the pig if it decided there was two of them in the pen If they decided that I was going to kill them and they didn't want that to happen and should they have both rushed me and started biting at me and tearing away muscle groups of my body with their teeth because that's what pigs do when they bite you. Mm -hmm. um, Well, fair game. Cool. Reality. Fair. But we live in a world where that's not supposed to happen. So when it does, we chalk it up to uh, tragedy. We chalk it up to misfortune. We chalk it up to things that are supposed to make this seem like an outlying event, you know, mm. and it's not the cougars that killed the, the biker, the, there's a bicyclist oh, yeah. in, in Cascadia here very recently. It made yeah. headlines everywhere in Washington yeah, because they're growing rural areas uncontrollably and they're sticking rich Californians in bullshit tinsel box houses so that they can wear their tight, flashy clothes and ride their mountain bikes around the trails. And, uh, Oh my God, the cougars, Oh, we didn't we didn't deport these cougars before before I moved here. And so people are getting mauled by cougars. and I, like I think that's awesome. I'm happy about that. You know, like I'm not going to I'm not going to celebrate otherwise. If it happened to me, cool. Yeah, I, whatever. I probably wouldn't die, I, I, but that's just me. I'm from here. No, I think you know how to fight that. Yeah, one. I'll fight a cougar. That's yeah, fine. Let's I've, do that. Fought a few in my past. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, no. So the confrontation of violence in the in the natural animal world as just a condition of being alive, as just a a principle of existing, Mm -hmm. we're lying to ourselves, the world at large and trying to disavow violence and trying to pretend it doesn't exist or trying to sterilize it. And like we do with the feed factories and like we do with factory farms, that's supposed to be sterile. Okay. A feedlot is a sterile, violent food processing facility. I've driven by them. It's not fucking sterile. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and you can almost do the same thing with, uh, you could almost say the exact same thing with uh, 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 fish management. If you wanted to go to fish management and you say, no, no, we're keeping things sterile. Okay, well, you're tagging, and this is completely, I guess you'd have to be a, in Cascadia to understand this. But they take fish, and they and they probably do this all over the United States, but they take the fish in the reservoirs, in the rivers, and they tag them with these little things so that the college students can keep track and determine for the entire government apparatus what responsible fish management should be. And they don't care about the fact that these little tags that they put on these fish get caught in the stomachs of other fish and they kill those fish. And then when a bird comes down because it thinks it sees a nice tasty bull trout and it snatches that thing out of the river and an eagle pulls it up to a tree and starts eating it, it also eats these pieces of plastic that kill it if it didn't kill the fish first. Violence is a thing and people are a part of it all and... We have to own it. It has to be owned. Yeah. So get off my soapbox. No, I'd
0: like it. You're you're rocking it, dude. Um, Yeah. So my conclusion is that with that type of thinking, it occurs because people have somehow been traumatized or something to the point of the thought of like we're committing violence for the sake of their own well-being has become like a it's like an internal wound or something, something they don't want to address. And they've been made to feel ashamed of it. And so they externalize it and they don't take responsibility for it. And you know, they it's like putting a wound on or it's like putting a bandaid on a wound that's bleeding internally. Like you just can't do it. It
1: doesn't actually address the issue. Well, I think the trauma comes from, I think, I think most of the trauma when it comes to like feeding yourself and how the food system works, I think most of it does come from propaganda and indoctrination, at least in my experience. For example, I remember this, and so does my dad. Um, We watched Bambi together. We watched Bambi. Mm -hmm. And then the forest spirit deer, the beautiful deer, gets shot by the hunter, just a silhouette. And then Bambi is left an orphan, making friends with Thumper and a little bird. I forget his name. I cried my ass off during Bambi, and my dad remembers it. Like, he was showing, we watched Bambi together, and I started bawling as soon as they shot that daddy deer. He was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, he was kind of like, This film's not uh, good. man. Well, he didn't, you know, Disney is pure and wholesome, so there's nothing wrong with Disney, especially in 1992, right? Everybody loves Disney. Mm -hmm. Whatever, they're not evil. Anywho. Um, but I watched this thing Bambi, and I, it, it did. I, rem- I remember it. I was crying because I was like, "Oh my God, he just shot Bambi's daddy!" And I was like, "If somebody killed my daddy, I would be destroyed," you know. Um, and of course, that didn't really do much to hamper my enthusiasm because my dad took me out. And we were we were doing it. I remember I've seen I've seen my dad shoot a lot of animals, <laughs> skin them up and eat them. Um, done it with him. And uh, but I think that I think that a lot of that trauma, that re-imprinted trauma, does come from propaganda and indoctrinization and a lot of it is abrahamic because which is like you said like you said it you know uh the way that you're told things are are not the way that they actually are and so if you look at the abrahamism with respect to let's just go back to animal slaughter right um we're told to be kind to turn the other cheek to uh forgive your enemies and all this stuff And now contrast that kind of benevolence and that kind of kindness with a kosher or halal slaughter and trace that Abrahamism back. And it doesn't match up. Something doesn't add up.
0: Yeah, to say, I guess, we're going to start kind of wrapping it up here, I think. Totally. Um, But to say that you want no part of violence is definitely to fall further into the trappings of Mm -hmm. the modern world. And that is exactly what I think any government or an empire or those types of religious institutions would look to instill in the hearts and minds of the people that it's basically trying to subdue under their own story. Like, they want to tell it how it is, and they want you to all fall in line. Um, So I think people need to be honest with themselves, and that's really what this is all about for us. We're just trying to lay it down how we see it, you know, tell it like it is, right? Yeah. Uh, So... That's basically what we're trying
1: to do. Do you have anything else that you want to add before we? You know, start yeah. Um, on? To anybody listening, if this is something that is like, um, if this is just a mind-blowing conversation, and you've never heard anything like this, which is, I doubt, because most of you are probably smart people. What I want you to do is, I want you to go feed a spider. <laughs> I want you to do that. I want you to to feed a spider. Like that's it. It's it's that's it. And I want you to watch and understand and feel a connection to it. And uh, and after that, I want you to go shoot an animal and eat it or cut its throat or do whatever you do, however you want to do it. I don't care, but I want you to do it. I want you to do something where you are accountable to what you put in your body. Get real with it. Get real with it. Get bloody with it. No. Get into it. Absolutely. Get on my level, man.
0: <laughs> so I guess the question I have is... To the people out there, to what extent are you willing to give up an aspect of your humanity that we could say is totally integral to the very development of you as a human being and also integral to your survival as well? You know, just because you can espouse nonviolence as being the ethical solution to a better world, that does not mean that others are willing to do the same. And, you know, what if the most progressive thing we could do as a species was to actually fully embrace and cultivate an aspect of ourselves that makes us absolutely human so hopefully there was a lot of stuff within this talk for y'all to consider make sure you visit place subscribe to our youtube channel And help us continue the work that we're trying to do by supporting us in any way that you can. Just spread the message, right? We're on Instagram and Facebook. And we're going to continue to do our best to have interesting conversations and create content that hopefully helps inspire you to take action in your own life towards securing a healthy and a thriving existence for your people and your children.
1: Thanks again for joining us, and stay based out there.